Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, February 4th, 2023. And our top story today, it's another episode of Secure Saturday. What one public plan sponsor thinks about the Secure Act provisions. Joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Jim Potvan is the Executive Director of the Employees Retirement System of Georgia. Jim, great to see you. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Happy New Year to you. Nice to see you again. It's uh, The pleasure is all mine and all ours. Uh, Jim, it's Secure Saturday, so we're going to talk about the Secure Act. Before we do, wonder if you would might remind our audience a little bit about the state of Georgia's pension, 457, and 401k plans and, and how you serve members uh, before and in retirement. Sure. We are fortunate in that we have both a 457 and a 401k plan available for our members. Um, The key one these days is really the 401k plan. Our current retirement tier um, is what is commonly referred to as a hybrid tier. It's really just two plans working together. A pension plan, which is a little bit smaller than the one we had in, in past years, as well as a 401k with an employer match. So that's the one that we most actively manage. Uh, as a as an employer, so so when you saw the news, and you know, I mean, you're a, a veteran. You have been uh, following the retirement industry among other industries for a long time. You have a lot of responsibility. Um, are there provisions of the Secure Act passed in late December? And again, it's just you know, this is just the the first week or the last week of, of January into February. But are there provisions that excite you, your team, and the board? Um, yeah, I would say there are. You know, it's it's funny. A lot of these provisions have been sort of in the discussion for a long time, and and you don't want to get your hopes up until the legislation is actually passed. So we're we're pretty excited about the, the comprehensive nature of the, the package in general. Um, I guess for me personally, the one that excites me is really the one that allows for matching contributions on student loan repayments. One of the things that we've been learning with our hybrid tier is you know, as, as we encourage people to save for retirement, you know, it's not enough just to say, hey, it's good for you to save more and more and more to retirement. We're only one piece of the puzzle, right? So what this uh, provision would do is sort of allow people to, to uh, address two concerns at one time where they're paying off their student loans, but also beginning to uh, think about their retirement even at a young age, which is something that maybe was, was difficult for some people at times. Yeah, so balancing that, that, Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, so that's number one. There, there are a few others, but I think you wanted to follow up. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I, I think it's it's exciting that you can kind of bring the student loan into the 401k plan because people don't just view, view benefits. I'm going to get your experience in this and we can talk about the the others that interest you. But people don't just say, I'm going to say for retirement, and then they're done. I mean, and then 60, 40 years from now, they're, they're just roll out. I mean, there's a lot of things that people do. They have, as you said, student loan debt, they have children, they buy a home maybe, or they rent, et cetera. So it, it, it's pretty interesting that um, this provision is now part of uh, the, the law. And it's something I've been thinking about quite a bit. You know, I have two older children now. Uh, one is in college and one is uh, in her later high school years. Um, so these are things that in three to five years are going to be real questions that they're trying to answer as well. And I think about the advice that I would want to give them as they go through it. And 
And uh, it's obviously not focused on this one area to the exclusion of everything else. Yeah, and, and Jim, I cut you off, but what, what else really struck your fancy in terms of what you would like to maybe deliver to the membership? Well, I'm happy enough about the increase in the, the age for required minimum distributions, uh, 73 immediately and then 75 down the road. I think that's a good thing. Um, we're a little sensitive to the issue of leakage. We don't allow loans in our plan, um, but we do, of course, allow hardship withdrawals, as, as is very common. But I am intrigued about the, the sort of side accounts for emergency savings that would allow people to take relatively small but important distributions from time to time to, to help themselves out. I'm well aware of the, the statistics that suggest that relatively small emergencies can result in pretty extreme hardship for a large percentage of our, our folks. Uh, so to be able to give them a little bit of flexibility sort of also fits into this bigger picture, financial picture idea that, that we're talking about. Um, the idea of being allowed to, uh, to let our employees elect to have employer contributions be made as Roth um, this strikes me as much more important for our younger population than it is for our, maybe our closer to retirement folks. But nevertheless, the younger population is the population that, that we're having, you know, the most attention paid in terms of trying to retain them and, and see us as a, as a, a career employer, not just a, a stopping point. So I think that will help a little bit in that regard. Um, also the idea of Roth for catch-up contributions, not the catch-up contributions thing is a bit of a, two-edged sword right now because of the, the error that I sincerely hope will be fixed uh, in, in relatively expedient fashion. But uh, assuming that it does get fixed, uh, Roth catch-up contributions and, and, and increasing the, the limits on the catch-up contributions are both good things as well. Jim, when you uh, think about implementation again, where here we are in the, in the beginning of, of February, there's a lot of things that have to happen in terms of operations. And then you have the added, I think, the added twist. Do you have to go to the legislature? I know you've got a legislative um, session going on now. It, to add a provision to the plan, how does that get um, undertaken? Depends on the type of provision. Uh, the ones that are permissive, like uh, Roth for 401k you know, matching contributions and whatnot, I believe we can handle that by a board action. Things like... Um, matching contributions to the 401k or 457 plan uh, for student loan payments, I believe would have to go through the legislative process. So it's something that we're, we're having to study each of these provisions sort of in turn and see you know, what's required, what's permitted, what would be required for us in order to make some of these things happen. Um, and I think our providers are going through much that same exercise right now, but of course on a much larger scale because they have you know, obviously broad client bases to to serve. So uh, I, I sort of feel for them as they work through this because I know they have a lot of work ahead of them. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good news there, but obviously it creates work that has to be done. Jim, last question. We've talked a lot about your perceptions, the board. Um, have you heard from participants? Any maybe just anecdotally, you're walking down the street, you're going to pick up a slice of pizza, and someone says, that's Secure Act. Man, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> it's funny, it doesn't come up in the cocktail party conversations very often. <laughs> Um, honestly, you know, one of our, our primary responsibilities is, is, is education of our membership. And I think that's probably going to be mostly true here as well to make them aware of this and what the potential long-term benefits are. Um, it really is 
you know, what we do is very much a long-term endeavor and it is for the individual employees as well. And, and getting them to focus on something that really doesn't hit them for 30 or 40 years uh, is a, is a, a big challenge for us and one that we, we will embrace for this as well. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, you and others and, and, you know, there's just so much momentum here for saving for retirement, paying off student loans. Hopefully people become more engaged. We all, we all need to, need to do a better job there. Jim, we're going to have to leave it there. Really appreciate you stopping by the program. Thanks for sharing your insight into Secure Saturdays. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Jim. Great to see you. Thanks for sharing your perspective. And when we come back, we'll take a look at some of our best segments for the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeffrey Snyder, and this is your BRN Retirement Update. Just how important is trust when hiring a financial advisor? Well, I sat down with one expert this week who told me that trust is everything, especially in certain communities. People need to be able to trust those that they work with. And crazy as it seems, it seems like a lot, a lot of people trust those who look like them. You know, um, I would even say, in addition, households need to understand the importance of, you know, money management and savings in general, you know, not just for a rainy day, but for those things that are attainable. So how do you build trust? Well, it takes time and effort and transparency on both sides. With your BRN Retirement Update, I'm Jeffrey Snyder of the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repaired for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. 
Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report, so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. This week, we discussed how foundations lost over $200 billion in 2022. Let's take a look. They did not have a good year. Foundations uh, were down. Their investment performance um, was, was down about 15.5%, um, our estimates indicate, which, you know, the S&P 500 was down um, about 18%. But the real um, you know, uh, tough spot was bonds. Bonds were down 13%. So these are all market things, but they're all, as you can see, they're all mid-teens, high-teens. And so they were more or less in, in line with the markets, but their asset levels of foundations have been impacted pretty significantly, which may lead to a hit on um, charitable support in 2023. We model that uh, overall disbursements from foundations were about $95 billion in 2022 which is flat with 2021's giving. One thing that's very interesting about uh, uh, the disbursements, and I make the distinction between disbursements and giving only slightly, because that $95 billion includes about $5 billion of investment fees. So if we talk giving, the number is more like 90 billion, but again, flat um, in 2022 versus 2021. And the large foundations tend to have giving pacing that's based on a three-year moving average of assets. And so 20, the, the years leading up to 2022 were so strong, double-digit returns, that giving has been going up at a you know, 6 7% rate and now is stalled in 2022, according to our models. 2023 is likely to be down unless there's a, a really impressive return um, from investment performance on foundations. We think that foundations would need to be up about 18% in 2023 in order to keep giving flat at the $90 billion level. I think that they're gonna have to be uh, one of two things, either get more aggressive in their fundraising um, and look for um, uh, you know, sources of, of uh, dollars in addition to um, foundations, which they, of course, already do. Foundations provide about 20% of overall um, charitable giving. Um, and so these operating charities need to you know, step up their games in terms of you know, getting um, money from other sources besides foundations is one thing. And then also probably look to trim their own budgets uh, or expectations. Um, and I think that one of the um, one of the things that we're just talking to some trustees about these days is the also the impact of inflation on some of these organizations because foundations have you know, uh, you know of the 90 billion, over 10 billion dollars 
goes out in, in, in costs and wages and salaries and benefits in rent in legal and accounting. And if there's inflation, you know, on that end, then there might be a crowding out effect in terms of grants as well, which again could have an impact on the operating charities, um, you know, then their their overall budgets. I don't think this is going to be like in 2008, and um, for the the core reason for that is in, in 2008 there was a severe liquidity crisis, um, and we just don't have that now. Basically, this time around seems that it's just you know, uh, you know poor investment performance. That's you know global. You see it in you know, emerging markets. You see it in developed markets. As I said, we see it in the fixed income markets. So I don't see a disruption in the liquidity um, factors that we saw back then. Um, in 2008, we you know the S and P was down 37 percent, um, but bonds were up five percent in 2008. Um, foundations overall were, were were down in the high 20s, but uh, this, you know, let's assume that there is a recession coming. The the ability for foundations to deliver to deliver charitable support will be impacted, I think, only by their asset levels, not the liquidity uh, fears that you had in 2008. So I just think that this, from a charitable giving point of view, that the philanthropic um, overall ecosystem is probably you know, better off, they, as I said, they will suffer likely, um, you know, harder time raising money. But I don't think that there's the same fear that you saw in, in 2008. We also discussed how 25% of millennials are having their parents pay their rent and other expenses. Let's take a look. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear it. Uh, I've also watch the number of people living at home tick up steadily, uh, even before the pandemic, but it's certainly increasing during the pandemic. So that's, it's sort of all a parcel of the fact that it is very expensive right now to, to, to be a young adult and be out in the world. I mean, w wages are increasing and that's a good thing. And, but rent is still very high, although it does, we, we are seeing some numbers that are showing that it's flattening. But there was a Morgan Stanley study that came out recently about the similar phenomenon and saying that younger people are actually spending more on luxury goods. And so they're living with their parents or they're getting subsidized in other ways so that they can have a, a, a more luxurious life. And uh, that's not such a good thing because that doesn't really set them up for success. I think that there's just a variety of factors here, but I, I don't think Gen Xers are still living with their parents for the most part. But the problem is that they are subsidizing more their um, their kids in a way that maybe they weren't subsidized as kids. So every generation tends to do things in a way that their parents didn't. So Gen Xers, I don't know about you, but but I learned that when you were 18, you were in college or you were working and you were out the door. Yep. But gen, the Gen X parents that, that I know and I'm friends with, they're, they're a little more like, oh, well, the kids can come back after college and maybe save for a house or things like that. So the, uh, the Gen X parents are making it a little easy for, for kids to stay home.
It is partly that uh, student loan debts play a huge, huge role here. And you're seeing just the milestones of life are being hit later. People are getting married later. They're having kids later. They're owning a house later. So everything's being pushed out a little bit. And that, that's part of what we're seeing as well. I'm excited by things like, like Lennar, the home builder. They've, they've been experimenting with multi-generational models that have like separate entrances. It's interesting as a global shift, right? We've had uh, you, post-war, you had everybody move out into, into the suburbs. You had the nuclear families. Now, you know, now those people that did that are seeing the consequences of that shift as, as they turn 80 and need to be, you know, maybe need more care. They don't, they don't live near their kids. They could encourage their kids to move away. So there's a lot happening there that I think we're going to see some interesting new models of housing and living together to, to try to cope with that. It, it has been a roller coaster ride with rents. We're seeing now flattening and flattening is a really good thing. So we're not seeing a lot of major declines, but we're seeing flattening in, in most major metros. And so that's giving, giving people a, a chance to take a break. We're also looking at potential oversupply in some markets with a large multifamily, but that's really at the higher end of rents and not in the middle where there's still a lack of supply. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, somebody you think we should talk to, Drop us a line and don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website and, of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for BRN Sunday. We'll be breaking down all the news and events with members of the media, academia, financial services, and government. You're not going to want to miss it. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts, so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Tax audits, tax liens, wage garnishments. Every day we hear stories like this about good folks who are simply struggling to pay their bills. Each of them are living a frightening IRS tax nightmare and they are afraid it will destroy their lives. I'm a divorced single mom and my ex-husband left me and the kids with a lot of unpaid bills, including unpaid taxes. I was really starting to show my stress on my kids because the IRS had sent me a letter demanding a huge payment from me. I couldn't afford it. So then the IRS was threatening to garnish my wages. I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. That would have put me over the edge financially. It truly seemed hopeless, but then a friend at work told her to call the tax relief line. The people at the tax relief line, they told me about something called innocent spouse relief. They worked it out so that all of the taxes from my ex are not my problem. I don't know how that works and, and I don't care. All I care about is that I don't owe the IRS a dime and they are not going to take my paycheck. Even if it seems hopeless, 
you should call the number on your screen right now. There is absolutely no cost for the call or the consultation. You are under no obligation. If you are worried that the IRS could garnish your wages, seize your assets, even take your home, call us right now. The Tax Relief Line is here to help you. Now you have a knowledgeable, professional team of tax experts that are ready to negotiate with the IRS and fight for you to save you money. The Tax Relief Line's professionals have successfully negotiated thousands of cases, reducing and sometimes even eliminating the tax debt for their clients. It's very easy to get started. Simply call the number on your screen right now. You don't have to live in fear anymore. The call and the consultation are free.